This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite our business professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have a returning guest, David Bell, CEO at GammaCube. Dave, welcome to the Business of Us podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Terrific. Thank you for coming. All right. Year in, year out, Apple has been improving its mobile operating system that every iPhone runs on it, the iOS. This year, its 15th version has just hit the market. Well, has just, I mean, just last week. In some years, Apple's focus is on introducing new features, others on polishing some features. Sometimes they don't get a particular feature right from the first shot, and they need to revisit it again the next year. Apple engineers are human beings, like you and me. In particular, amongst all these updates, there are some that are of interest to app marketers. Today, we will cover those updates introduced in iOS 15, and Dave is here to tell us all about it. Um, so, David, actually, you were the first guest on this podcast back in December 2019, before COVID, BC. Uh, for people who didn't listen to that episode, please tell us about yourself briefly. Sure. So, you know, I have been in the mobile uh, marketing space since 1999, um, started one of the very first companies publishing mobile apps back in the day when you had to get carriers to distribute apps over their network with your small brew and Java color feature phones. Um, Gummy Cube uh, is, is actually the oldest ASO company in North America. We were one of the oldest in the world. We started all the way back in 2010, literally at a time where if you were to Google App Store optimization, you would not get results related to mobile marketing. That's how early we were. Um, and, you know, we, we solve kind of a couple sides of, of the challenge for ASO. Number one, we build technology to, you know, help people understand how the app store and play stores work. We're not about extracting data from customers' apps and using that to understand how many downloads and installs they have. We're about extracting data from the app store and play store and figuring out how those algorithms work so we can get better performance in the store. Um, and then we uh, help a lot of our clients uh, execute those optimizations. We look, look at like not just search or conversion or, or these factors independently, but how they interact with each other, right? How, uh, you know, when you, when you look at all the various practices that go to, uh, go into ASO, how you link those together to get the best results. That's awesome. Uh, it's always great to hear from somebody who has managed to stay in the market for all those years, grow and uh, have this perspective, like, uh, you know, like, you know, tech journalist who has been, you know, who's seeing the Silicon Valley in its infancy, it can give you a great overview of what's going on, who you should listen to, which part of the, you know, general narrative is true, which part is just false. So in, in this case, you've been uh, the, uh, since the time when the uh, App Store was in its infancy and App Store optimization was just taken off the ground. Okay. Uh, this summer, Apple introduced iOS 15, as we've just said, during its WWDC event in Cupertino. So the last week, this version finally reached the tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions by now, iPhones. 
Before focusing on implications for the App Store, let's give our listeners just a general view of what it was presented. Yeah, I mean, so when you look at what Apple is doing right now, there are a couple of, of general themes that Apple is moving down. Uh, one is obviously data privacy and exposure of who is using data to consumers. Um, that is a big focus uh, for Apple, as we all know, with uh, the adpocalypse that has been happening and all these things yeah. that we'll get to. Um, that is that has been a huge factor. Um, the other the other thing that I think when you look at iOS 15 is that Apple from a marketing perspective, from an ASO perspective, uh, is really uh, creating a more robust experience for, for app marketers, whether it is looking at uh, the A-B testing functionality that they're going to be introducing, whether it's looking at how search is being evolved by Apple, where there will be an experience that is different from an engagement and a re-engagement perspective when you look at in-app events and how they're formatting the search results. Um, you know, and even spotlight. So there's there's a lot there uh, to to cover, and I think it's going to be really interesting uh, from a marketing perspective as you get to expose users to different experiences, either based on where they come from or based on whether perhaps they've engaged with your app before in the past. There's one feature that kind of uh, went under the radar of uh, you know the most uh, tech bloggers who had been covering the event was the. They call this feature private relay. Well, this is like the essence of a VPN, but just in this case from Apple, you're uh, hiding um, your actual uh, IP and you're, you're, you're getting your information encrypted. If there will be any implications for the that marketing in general, um, can you think of any, um, any ideas on this? Yeah, well, I think there are two vectors to that. One is just that generally, I think Apple is is moving in a direction where they're they're going to make it very convenient for their users to stay within the Apple ecosystem with all of their data. Apple wants to own everything from user location to what people download to the interactions with users on their phone through through you know games, right? So. Um, that doesn't surprise me. I, I feel like, you know, when you look at third-party apps that people use very frequently, you know, VPNs are at the top of the list, just like mm-hmm. your weather app and, and Apple wants to own those things as part of their operating system. I think if you pull back from like a marketing user acquisition perspective, you know, to tell you the truth, this is not very different than where you even see like Google evolving with Google ads. I, you know, for those who run Google ads campaigns, and this is not an operating system level, but for those who run Google Ads campaigns, people are already noticing the changes to the interface where you're no longer targeting a country, you're targeting people who are frequently in a country, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're putting levels of disintermediation there mm-hmm. that seem to mean the same thing, but they don't really mean the same thing. And, and it's really, you know, in an attempt to comply with GDPR and the California Privacy Act. And, and to some degree be able to catch up to what Apple's doing in the minds of consumers where, you know, if you took a survey, Google would be behind. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They're, um, they're, I, I think Google will be higher on the list of trust, uh, both Facebook, but lower than Apple. Well, for sure. Uh, okay. Moving along. The next Is that the thing, same list of trust? It's a different list of trust. Yeah. Totally different list of trust. Totally um, different ball of uh, wax. Spotlight search on the App Store. Um, we all have been using um, Spotlight for, you know, checking uh, a piece of content on your smartphone, on your tablet. And um, 
for the most part, like um, I've switched on uh, instead of just looking for a specific app on my screen. So I just look up for an app uh, by its name for the other spotlight just to get, you know, as quick as possible to the app. But now the same feature allows you to actually grab an app right from the app store and download in your device. Um, what are the implications in, in, in your view? Uh, what do you think about this feature? Yeah, well, so I, I think generally, um, I, so I love Spotlight. I, I think the way Apple's evolving it is, is really, really useful, right? Um, and the reason I think they're evolving it this way, you know, frankly, if you look at the amount of time people are spending in mobile apps versus websites today, I think that the statistic was 88% of time is being spent in a mobile app versus versus web as of 2020, uh, according to Statista or some, some firm mm -hmm. that I was reading the other day. And, you know, I think as a result of that, Apple is realizing that a lot of the functionality that people used to engage in on the web when they were looking for kind of a collection of items related to a topic they're now looking for on their phone, right? People are not on their desktop as much anymore. And so they're, they're trying to create kind of an Apple version of that experience. That's more useful. I think from a marketing perspective, it's interesting because, you know, you look at app store optimization and originally app store optimization was about apps and features of apps uh, you know, and when you look at kind of search, um, and, and Apple has evolved it now with iOS 15 toward engagement and re-engagement and with spotlight into kind of the content within apps and the content that you could access online related to those queries. So I, I feel like, you know, when you look at spotlight, it, it's evolving into, you know, ASO being important for the content within apps, but I think there are going to be a lot of of SEOs, right, that do web optimization that, that are going to start to figure out, okay, well, what what are what are the signals Apple's taking to prioritize my web content when people are doing spotlight search? Because if 88% of, of people are engaging on apps, uh, I would imagine a larger and larger share of those kinds of searches are going to happen within spotlight. Right. And uh, at this point where somebody uh, typing an app name, name in the spotlight, they don't see anything except the app's name and an icon. So no way you can any, anyhow influence somebody's decision to pick an app, pick a specific app based on its screenshots, the video, description, anything. Somebody can yeah. see only the app name and its icon. I assume people are looking for apps that are that they know about. Uh, they're not like trying to pick up a new app uh, using the spotlight. They're searching for something they've been using previously and then they, they dropped that app from their smartphone. They want to get back or just heard about the app name, uh, the, a new app they want to use and just grab the app from the app store using the spotlight search. Yeah, I think Spotlight really is about re-engagement more than discovery of new apps. And I also think, you know, it's about dis discovery or presentation of relevant content aside mm -hmm. from just, just just kind of apps that you might want to download as well, uh, which, which I think is useful because people are getting more and more comfortable with the idea of searching for something 
uh, on their phone, you know, a, a content topic, you know, a specific movie they want in Netflix as an example, yeah. versus just looking for the app. Right. If you look at like, for example, what Apple's doing with, with Apple TV and right. How that app is evolving. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really clear that they, they want to enable discovery of apps in their store and on their phone, they want to enable discovery of content. Exactly. And just a very small tidbit on top of that, people may not realize when they, they're searching for something via Spotlight right now uh, under iOS 15, uh, they actually can search through the content they have embedded in the photos in their library. Because a live, um, live text feature that allows you actually pick up any piece of text, even in the written format, from any picture you have in your library even the one you're grabbing through Safari from the web and um, actually being able to copy that text, translate, put it in the notes, and do pretty much anything you want to do with a piece of text. And so when you're searching through the, uh, your, uh, using your spotlight, you can actually look up for uh, any information that are stored on your, on your device, on your photos, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I noticed that I, I, I when I up, upgraded to iOS 15, I searched for for Gummy Cube because that's the first thing mm -hmm. I searched for all the time, right? And yeah. and the first thing it presented was like 500 photos of us at App Promo Summit that were all over the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's a nice surprise. All right, um, next up is A/B testing. Uh, people have been asking for ages, probably millennia. Uh, to get A-B testing on the iOS side um, of the uh, mobile universe, uh, Android folks have been using, uh, Android web marketers have been using uh, the A-B testing capabilities of the Google Play market, and finally it's on the iOS side. So any thoughts about the A-B testing, any first experience of using um, A-B testing features uh, in the, um, on the iOS side? Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, number one, I, I, we have been talking to people at Apple about this for a long time. Uh, presumably every developer in the world has as well wanting these kinds of capabilities. But I think one of the things, you know, that gummy cube has always said, and that I've always believed based on the data that I see every day is frankly that paid and organic traffic don't behave the same way. And even traffic across different channels doesn't always behave the same way because of user experience differences in, in the journey. Right. Um, yeah. you know, you, you look at organic and it's a competitive choice. Do I download, you know, your app or someone else's in a search result, you look at paid marketing and it's people who go to a store listing landing page. Um, and so that, that's one of the reasons like with iOS, I think AB testing for a long time was broken because this premise that you can like launch a fake store listing, drive Facebook traffic into it, get a result. And somehow that will translate into good results for organic traffic. I, I, I thought that was always, uh, to to use a polite word, disingenuous, right? Um, and so Apple has actually validated that, I think, to a great extent, because not only did they introduce A-B testing, which I think is fantastic, um, they've also introduced the ability to have differentiated store listings for different sources of traffic. And, and that's essentially Apple saying, hey, you know what? We're a company that probably has more data in the world about how users behave and how they convert. And actually, not only is it important for you to look at your store listing, but most people are going to need different listings for different sources of traffic because these don't behave the same way. So I think it really debunks that, that idea 
that it was good to kind of put up all these fake listings and test and assume that that would work for organic too. Now, I, those kind of platforms, we have one called SplitCube, and I think they're great for optimizing paid traffic and, and you know, A-B testing new app concepts and, mm-hmm. and all of those things. So there's a good purpose for those tools. I just feel like the 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 best use of those tools is not, you know, optimizing every channel when when all they do is send in paid traffic from one channel. Now Apple's saying, "Hey, guess what? That's that's true." So I think that's really exciting and I think from an AB testing standpoint it opens up all of these opportunities to look at a core store listing, to look at the organic experience and then to look at you know, what do users from Facebook want? What, what do users from Ad Colony want? What do users from my website want? And how can we align these potentially different value propositions to give users kind of the obvious answer that they should download my app to solve their problems? And so I think that's exciting. I think that, I think that it's going to open up, uh, you know, a lot more creative jobs in the mobile industry because producing, you know, 30 landing pages for an app is not going to be as simple as producing one. Um, and, and A-B testing that might be a little bit more complex. But um, overall, I think, you know, we're very excited. I think it's, you know, more robust than even what Google has. And I think without saying it explicitly, kind of Apple has debunked a lot of the, you know, things in the industry that people secretly knew weren't really true or weren't really working from, from an A-B testing standpoint. Right. So we're talking about custom product pages. Uh, the other feature introduced in iOS 15 and, uh, it's, uh, yeah, just like you've said, it's a great tool for folks to, uh, create a, uh, kind of, um, custom environment for people who are coming to grab their app uh, through the ads on Snapchat, on Twitter, uh, on, I don't know, TikTok, um, various channels where they know that people coming from these channels, they, they require a custom approach. You have to be able to kind of, uh, uh, make sure that your app resonated with these folks, uh, it's still your app. You're still driving folks to grab your iOS application from the app store, but the way you present yourself to these people will be different using these custom product pages, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. So, you know, for example, uh, you know, you could look at it per channel or per campaign. I mean, where it starts to get really interesting if you're kind of in paid user acquisition is, you know, if you have a campaign for Netflix, let's just use kind of a very popular app that everyone's aware of, right? Mm-hmm. You could have a campaign focusing on movies and highlighting your kind of key movies for that month and a separate campaign focusing on TV, right? Uh, and and soon Netflix will probably need a campaign focusing on games based on where they're going, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and and you could actually have a different landing page for those sources of traffic, right? And, and present them something different, which I think is important because like when I think of store optimization, I think of store optimization first and foremost in terms of what apps does your features have and who are those audiences and how are they going to find the app and what are their expectations when they when they see that page. And And so it's been a challenge, I think, for everyone in the industry kind of balancing that when you want to scale at the same time. Um, And I think this solves a lot of those problems. Right. Uh, Speaking of new things, uh, like new mm, venues for new avenues for people to be able to um, introduce uh, specific features uh, of the app, uh, in-app events, um, where these are the, um, this is the channel to tell your audience to people who have been, who have been using your app, uh, that there's, um, uh, 
I don't know, it can be a movie release, uh, your upcoming um, release of you know, new levels in your game. And now these in-app events are searchable on the app store. So this is yet another channel for you to communicate with your uh, existing clients and um, basically increase engagement, right? So how mm -hmm. does it work? Um, how is it beneficial to app developer or an app marketer? So what's interesting about in-app events is a lot of people will think of an in-app event like, you know, a, a game is having a new theme or a new character for one month, right? And and you're using that, like, you know, Call of Duty introduces a Rambo character for 30 days and you can play them or something like that, right? right. Um, but, but, I, but I think that actually in reality, in-app events are going to become much more broad because of this, even in apps, you know, in categories where you wouldn't think of them like productivity or utilities, simply because in-app events are, are re-engagement ASO. Right. The content that you put on the creative for your in-app events is what people will see as they are searching. Right. It's what they see as they're going to interact in the app store if someone already has your your app installed. Right. And so getting them back in your app, if they're looking for a feature that your app has, but maybe they don't use it or they're unaware of that feature, uh, you know, is is going to be really, really important. Right. And so we're looking at in-app events from a standpoint of a new category of ASO, uh, re-engagement ASO, and, and how we can leverage that from a conversion optimization standpoint to get more existing users to re-engage and increase DAUs and MAUs inside an app. Right. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it will go beyond that. Like I, 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 a lot of people are just starting to notice this, but you know, when you search for apps in the app store, in addition to events that you're going to see with an app that's already installed, if there's not an event going on, your search listing gets shrinks and you don't have your screenshots anymore. It's just, it looks like a Google play search listing with an icon and a title. So it's like almost one of these things where if you're not doing some events, you're actually going to lose real estate. Right. Which you, which you don't want to do. Right. So, you know, this is the tip of the iceberg. Right. We're, we're just starting to kind of break down and see like, how, well, what is this looking like? Right. Um, and there were even a few surprises as Apple introduced what the search results looked like when we finally all downloaded it to our phones. So we're, uh, you know, we're excited about it. Um, we think that, you know, it's definitely another layer of work that has to go into ASO, um, because I think what will happen over time is, you know, apps that that do more in the events kind of listings are going to end up with more re-engagement from lapsed users than apps that don't. Right. Uh, okay. So there's a, there's another beast that was introduced to marketers a few months ago, SCAD network. Um, uh, what new features were introduced for SCAD network uh, with the, with, um, from the WWDC event? Yeah. So, I mean, so there, there's a lot going on there and, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'll unpack one of the most important features that I, that I think matters, but, you know, in, in general, um, I feel like this is going to be evolving very rapidly and, you know, Apple is figuring out how to retain the most control while giving developers what they need. And, and I think, you know, anything we say today 
you know, three, three months and six months from now will probably be a little bit different. Um, things will still be a little bit broken or, or a lot broken and, and it'll get better over time. But I, I think the the headline for me, uh, is that, um, you know, Apple is acknowledging that developers themselves, you know, need postbacks about, about what's going on and where people are coming from. I, I think, you know, that that's important. I feel like that when they initially designed this idea or they, they came up with this idea, they're thinking, oh, well, to some degree, we want ad networks to be able to do their targeting or retargeting. But but they they didn't realize that there was a degree of optimization that happened at the top of the funnel from a developer perspective that's really important. So I think it's good. You know, I think it's good Apple's acknowledging that. I mean, I think to pull the camera back on this, you know, I, I really feel like a lot of the actions that Apple is taking are actions that are indicative of a company that want to push third parties out of their ecosystem, um, which is not surprising. And it, it, that's not that's not a, a dig on Apple. It, it, it goes to their desire to protect customer privacy, right? But in their desire to protect customer privacy, I think they're really going to be moving to a model where you know ownership of data is obscured and it is limited to Apple and it is limited to the developer. If the developer can prove they can protect that data. Right. Uh, and, and, and maybe to some degree ad networks, but like if I'm an attribution tool today, right. I'm looking at what Apple's doing and I'm looking at how iTunes or app store connect is, I said, iTunes connect mm-hmm. I'm cool. app store connect is evolving. And I'm saying, Oh, you know, damn, they're really starting to look a lot like an attribution tool. What, what are they, what are they trying to do here by controlling data and, and adding all these features in app store connect? Are they, are they going to start slowly turning off the spigot to third parties that want to help people with attribution? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is to that, but, and, and that's kind of a controversial thing for me to say, but like, I, I feel like, um, I feel like that's something that Apple's getting better at and they're introducing more transparency in their own ecosystem while they remove transparency from third party providers. And, and I think that those two things, when you put them together, lead you to some conclusions. Yeah, we'll see. It's a very delicate game of, um, not, it's not a game, it's a very delicate business of uh, taking care of users' privacy. As time goes by, you learn from the market you've built. Like uh, at the beginning of the App Store, nobody at Apple knew how the app developers who will be using the App Store, what the, you know, the, what the complications will show up, uh, what about the third party, like the, the whole ecosystem of, you know, attribution business um sometimes i think steve jobs if he if he could see what's going on with the app store right now he would just i don't know grab his head about the complexity of what's going on and how 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 more complicated it actually it is right now as opposed to you know the picture of the app store when it was launched more than 10 years ago it's i don't know orders of magnitude more complex and uh, you know the number of parties that are involved and uh, you're trying to make happy your customers first, but if you're forgetting about the developers and the whole system will start be collapsing, you have to make sure that you remember about what, what's, what are their interests. Um, we'll see as time goes by. Uh, next up on the list is app clip updates. Uh, one of the cute features that I personally haven't encountered much recently, um, probably once or twice since it was introduced. So has iOS 15 brought anything exciting for this feature uh, that it was introduced in you know the previous previous version, iOS 14? 
Um, I think, uh, I think that the, I think it's been refined and I think that it's something that Apple is, is kind of confident and promoting more for people to use. I feel like, you know, it's, they've, they've had a chance to kind of iterate on it a little bit and understand how people might engage with it. Um, I, I also feel like to some extent this, this goes along with the idea of, you know, Apple trying as much as possible to enable people with apps to almost take those features and create an integrated operating experience with them instead of causing, instead of saying, okay, open this new environment and engage. So this is mm-hmm. embrace and extend thing that Apple is doing. And I think, I think that's really important. I think it's a very Apple thing to do. I mean, at the end of the day, like even kind of piggybacking on what you were just saying from our previous question, the big difference between Apple and some of the other kind of uh, tech companies out there is that Apple views themselves as a platform provider and an ecosystem provider. And to Apple, it's their ecosystem. And it's always been that way. You know, I was a Macintosh user back in the 90s, right? And I remember what it was like using a Mac and, and it was very much a walled garden and it was a great experience you know, if you liked things served up their way. And, and I think that this is just Apple saying, hey, you know what? You know, we 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 can't necessarily have an app like weather or news for every feature. And these third parties are doing some interesting things. But how do we make it more of an integrated experience for Apple? Right. Versus mm-hmm. open an app every time. Right. Exactly. Uh, finally, what are your favorite updates in iOS 15? Uh, is there something you've been waiting for and um, Apple still hasn't covered the these specific feature in this new release, something is missing that you've been waiting for? Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, I think in terms of my favorite updates in iOS 15, there, there, there are a couple of them. One, one is that I, I truly love some of the updates in spotlight because I, I use that like all the time. I'm always on the go and I'm always on my phone. I really like what they're doing there. Um, two, um, one feature that, that not a lot of people, I'm, I'm a big Apple mail user and, you know, I, I opened up Apple mail on iOS 15 and to have it say, Hey, we're going to obscure IP address data and prevent all these trackers from knowing you opened someone else's email. I thought that was great because there's, there's nothing that, that bothers me more than opening my email and sorting through, you know, 50 cold spam messages from people that want to sell me things where if I even click on the email, they know I opened it, then they attack me the next day. And so like, I'm, I'm extremely happy that Apple did that. Um, I, I think, you know, companies like Yesware are probably scratching their head a little worried. Like why do people need us, you know, now if you can block that feature. Um, so, so that's something that I think was excited about that not a lot of people talked about, but it made my life a lot easier you know, the day I opened iOS 15. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a great feature to have. Uh, and you know, email spam is still there. It, even though it's not offensive to talk about email spam these days, cause you know, we have a lot of other troubles in our, on our, on our, uh, labs, but, um, if you're working um, in every startup, uh, you know, it doesn't matter the size of the company, email is your workhorse. This is how you communicate with, with people. Something that is kind of hard to explain to Gen Z that you guys, once you grow up, you will be working on email. So get used to this channel. It's not going to go anywhere. So having one more good tool to combat spam in your inbox is awesome. Okay. So... Yeah, that that to to be honest, that was the final question I wanted to cover. And just to wrap up the whole thing, 
how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So you can check out our website at gummycube.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn at gummycube. We're on Twitter at gummycube. We have a blog with tens of thousands of articles going all the way back to 2010 about, about app store optimization, just from a knowledge standpoint. Um, you can reach me at uh, Dave at gummycube.com. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, you know, like I said earlier, we, we do both tech and, and we do, you know, services to help people execute. So we're always happy to, uh, to chat and to, to, to see how we can help. Terrific. Thanks a lot, David. It's always great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Thank you. And that was David Bell, CEO at GummyCube. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you'll be able to find us easily. Wireless episodes every Monday, so subscribe and you'll be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.